right, let me ask you to open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4, please. Or as you might know him, Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4. And we're going to read just a few verses to begin with. Nehemiah chapter 4. And let's begin reading together in verse number 1. Nehemiah 4 verse 1. Garrett, could you maybe turn me down just a smidge? Nehemiah 4, verse 1. <clears throat> the Bible says here, But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria. Now, forgive me if I pause just briefly to fill in the, the, maybe a gap here. The Samaritans at this point, were enemies of the Jews. Now, it, once you get to the New Testament, that's clearly manifested. But by this point, what you need to know, the Samaritans, the ancient land of Samaria had been taken into captivity. And when that happened, the, the king that did that brought people from other lands and filled Samaria with these non-Jews. And then they began to mix and mingle. And you came out with this very strange culture and it was very anti-Jewish. So that's why Sanballat is able to make fun of the Jews and the Samaritans are very much on board with this. All right? It says, He spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Now in order to appreciate this, you have to kind of put a laugh in between each question. You know how it goes when you're making fun of people. You, you do know how that goes, right? Because we, we've all done it. Come on, don't act all spiritual and sanctified. You know you've done that. We do it. We, we look at some other group. We go, hey, check that out. Do you see that? Yeah. What do they think they're doing? And, and we shake our heads and we wag our heads and we laugh at them. And so when he says, what do these feeble Jews? <laughs> look at this. Look at this. This is. <laughs> Obviously, the, the writer of the Bible is not going to put the <laughs> in the middle of it, but that's what he did. What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Huh? Huh? <laughs> Again, not in the scripture, just adding that in. Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? And again, explosive laughter comes from the crowd. Yeah, <laughs> that'll never happen. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? And again, all the army of the Samaritans and his brethren are, <laughs> yeah, these Jews, man, who do they think they are? <laughs> that is never going to work. Nehemiah is trying to do something. This, this task is so massive to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. This is now approximately 450 B.C. The city has been laid in ruins for over 150 years, burned to the ground. These stones, the rubble, has been sitting there for so long that, think of it, seven or eight generations have gone by. And it's just been nothing but a mess. And now Nehemiah shows up with this small little group of people says, let's build the city. The temple is already underway, right? It's standing by this point. They're, they're sacrificing in the temple, but the city itself is a mess. The walls of the city specifically broken down, so anybody that wants to come in and out can do so. It's just a, a wreck. Now Nehemiah is trying to do something about it. Verse 3, now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. He's mocking. 
if a fox goes up, right, just brushes it with his tail, puts his front paws up on the wall, whoo, the wall's going to go down. Me personally, I don't think that's, that's a very funny joke. <laughs> I think Tobiah really failed. If he's trying to make fun of the Jews, you can do better than a fox on a wall, right? But that's, that's what he came up with. Verse 4, hear, O our God, for we are despised. And turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So built we the wall and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. For the people had a mind to work. Let's pause there and pray for a moment. Father, please help us this morning. We desire to turn our attention to you and to your word. Please give us something today that uh, will last us not just through the day, not just through the hour in which we're talking about it, but Lord, something that will take us through the weeks to come. Please minister to us. Fill each one of us with the Spirit of God. I do pray you'd anoint my lips. Help me to preach now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How many of you are familiar with the phrase, haters gonna hate? Just raise your hand. Is that something that people know? This is exactly what I thought would happen. There's like a, a, a line that's been drawn between the younger generation and the older generation. You can kind of see where everybody's at because when you have the phrase, haters gonna hate, that, that's kind of a newer phrase. I didn't grow up with that phrase. I am familiar with it. I can't say that it's ever really been a part of my vocabulary. I've never used it until I titled a sermon with it, right? <laughs> haters gonna hate. Basically, I think, now you younger folks can help me out, or those of you with a young heart can help me out here. It's simply talking about some people, no matter what you do, they are going to find a way to try to discourage you. They are going to pick apart your best efforts. And this is, especially, this is true in so many things, isn't it? No matter what the task or the project is, no matter what the change you are trying to implement is, implement is in your life, this is going to be true. If you're trying to fix your marriage, you're trying to fix your workplace or your individual job, the way you go about it, when you try to make a change, people are going to say some hurtful and hateful things and they're going to discourage you. They're going to try. They're going to try. And... Uh, the phrase, I think, would stand true, even though I don't, maybe don't know how to use it, haters going to hate. This is just a fact of life. I wouldn't put it like that, but it's a fact of life. So what do we do about it? I think Nehe uh, Nehemia. <laughs> Sorry, give me a moment. Yeah, all right. Uh, who is Nehemia? Is he in the Bible? All right, Nehemiah. I think Nehemiah had a very good response to this. What was his response? Verse 4, hear, O our God. He started to pray about it. You know, when, when you start to get discouraged by the things people are saying and they might doubt your efforts and think that there's no way you're ever going to make this change or accomplish this task, first thing you need to do is pray. Next thing you need to do, verse 6, so built we the wall. <laughs> Just get on with the work. You can't sit around thinking about what they said and, man, I can't believe they said that. You, it's not your job to convince everybody that you're going to make it. That, that you get no extra points for that. It doesn't help you finish the job at all. I, I, like I said, I think this can apply in many, many 
areas of life, but I want to focus in on, on specifically two things. Um, that is when somebody is trying to find their way to Christ. There's a good chance that the people around them will hinder them and say, you know what, even if you did get to God, it wouldn't make a difference. You're too far gone. And you might be thinking that, yes, other people might be saved and they might be on their way to heaven, but that can never happen to me. You just don't know how bad I am and, and how confused I am. I have too many questions. There's no way that God could save somebody like me. And then there's another group I think that this might be pertinent for, and that is people that are freshly or newly saved. It is, don't you remember some of you that have been saved maybe for years, 10, 20, 30 years? Don't you remember how difficult it was to leave that old life and start a brand new life? When Jesus Christ passed by your way and, and reached out his hand to you and said, come, follow me. You're never going to be the same. It is not easy. It is a big task to take the heaps of rubbish and rubble that have been sitting there for years and years. You've let it pile up and now to take on this big project of, of taking an ungodly, wicked life and turning it into something that will please God and be a shining example of what His grace can do in a person's life. It's not going to be easy. There are going to be people that doubt your efforts and try to discourage you and if I can just say quickly, yes, the world will do that, and maybe some of your friends and family members might even be, maybe they will even be the sand ballot in your life. There might be some Samaritans. There might be a Tobiah here and there that laugh at you while you try. You know what I found in my life? After I got saved, yes, my family gave me a little pushback. They, they, didn't, they weren't on board, right? N none of them are, are saved except for my sister at that point, and no one was really supportive. And yes, there were some old friends that I have. When I got saved, they were confused. Why am I changing so much? Why don't I go do the same things I used to do? Yes, I found a little bit of pushback. But you know, as, as time has gone on, I have found that God has put a lot of people around me that actually want to see me succeed. I have a very loving, very wonderful wife. My children, I have a church family. I don't think any of you here this morning are sitting, I hope not, sitting there going, I hope pastor blows it today. <laughs> hope not. <laughs> I got a lot of support. I got a lot of people in my life that are very patient with my own spiritual growth, with my journey. You do understand that uh, I still have work to do. As an individual believer in Christ, I'm still being conformed to His image, and it's still a big project even for me. So I got a lot of support. I don't have a lot of sand ballots in that way, but I do have one. And, and no matter what I do, I try to shake him, but I can't. I try to shut him up, but he just keeps talking. And that sand ballot is me. As somebody who has struggled with, and I, as I told you recently, God's given me some victory in the area of perfectionism, I have found that my worst enemy is often myself. I will never allow myself to think that I'm actually accomplishing anything. As soon as I start a project or take on some big change in my life, all I can do is tell myself, yeah, but you've done it wrong for so long, you'll never get this right. And I find myself uh, the two natures kind of here. I'm, I'm Nehemia. I'm Nehemiah and Sanballat at the same time. 
My Nehemiah side kicks in and gets to work and let's go, let's pray, let's build the wall, let's, let's put the city back together, let's, let's use the grace of God and, and let's grow, let's be like Christ. And then the other side of me says, yeah, this isn't going to work. No matter how hard you try, even if you do put hours and hours of effort into it, a little fox will come up and just knock the whole thing down. You know this is going to come to nothing, right? And I want to speak to what Sam Ballot said. You know in verse number two, these questions were rhetorical, right? You get that. It's not like Sam Ballot actually went up to Nehemiah and said, uh, uh, pardon me, sir, are you going to fortify this? <laughs> uh, do you plan to finish today? <laughs> these were not legitimate questions. He was mocking the rhetorical questions just meant to deride them. And I've given you the verses on your paper here. In Proverbs chapter 26, the Bible says in verse 4, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. That's a great piece of advice. When people start talking foolishness, often the best answer is no answer at all. Just let him talk. What he's saying doesn't make sense. It doesn't help. It's just discouraging and hurtful. Just go on. Pray. Get back to work. But look at the next verse. Proverbs 26, verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Sometimes there is something you need to say. Say, Pastor, please tell us when not to say it and when to say it. Uh, <laughs> can't help you there, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to uh, pray your way through those situations. In this case, Nehemiah did not answer the fool according to his folly. And by no means am I trying to correct that. I just thought it would be interesting if we took the questions from verse 2 and actually answered them this morning. They weren't meant to be answered, but let's, let's stop and think about what Sam Ballot was saying and let's see if there might be some wisdom from actually answering these things. In verse number 2, the first question he, he, he poses is, what do these feeble Jews? Now this is kind of an introductory question, so this is not part of numbers one, two, three, and four. If you wanted to just make the note of feeble, that'll be consistent with the every, everything else I'm going to say today, but what do these feeble Jews? Well, first of all, Sanballat has a point. He's right. He's right. What do these feeble Jews? They were feeble. If I'm Nehemiah and I'm standing there and he says, what do these feeble Jews? And I, I have my, you know, my axe or my hammer, my trowel or whatever it is I'm using to build the wall. If I'm doing the work and he says, what, what are you feeble Jews doing? I'm not even going to be offended that he called me feeble. Yep, I'm feeble. And, <laughs> right, is, is that an issue? When, when somebody comes and says, but you're so weak, and maybe you're the sand ballot telling yourself that, but I'm so weak, I, I can't even make it another day, I'm too feeble own it own it say yes I, I am weak I get that I, I, I am not I don't have enough strength in and of myself to get this done but the weaker I get the stronger Christ can man the, the more of his strength gets manifested in my life so the, the fact that I'm feeble does not stop me or disqualify me from building this wall you want to call me feeble okay well maybe you have a point but it's not my job to prove to you that I'm strong. It's my job to get out of God's way and let him do the work through me. What do these feeble Jews? Now, 
If you know Nehemiah, if you've read the book, I think Nehemiah, if he would have answered, he would have said something like this. He would have been working on the wall. What do these feeble Jews? What does it look like we're doing? We're building a wall. <laughs> I mean, that's, that is what he's doing, right? That's why it's not worth answering sometimes. The answer is so obvious. I mean, what, did you really need to ask? <laughs> now, see, I'm not, being sarcastic like that probably isn't helpful, <laughs> but that's the thought that goes through my mind. What do these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? So this is question 1.1. Will they fortify themselves? And it may be next to number one on your paper if you want to just write the word fortify. Fortify. Will they fortify themselves? Well, if I'm Nehemiah and I'm working on the wall, what are these Jews doing? We're building a wall. Are they going to fortify themselves? Nehemiah looks up and says, yes. (laughs) And then goes back to work. Yes, we're going to fortify ourselves. That's what you do when you build a wall and have a city inside of it and a temple and a place of worship and places of businesses and places of residence. You fortify the position. To fortify means to strengthen, to prepare to defend your position. When you build a fort, you then have to gather resources into that fort so that you don't have to travel outside too much and endanger yourself, exposing yourself to the outside elements. You build that fort and, and you do, right, you do have to get supplies from the outside, but you, you create a bit of a, a system to get those supplies in on a consistent basis so that you're not left wide open to the enemy. Do you see how this might work in the spiritual sense? I've, I've taken a position, I've taken a stance for the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and I, I have no intentions of leaving this position. So I'm going to gather all the resources I can to defend this position. If anybody comes against me and says, you need to evacuate the city, I can give them a good reason why I should stay. I'm going to make sure that there is a system in place. This is the system, by the way, to get the necessary nutrition, the food, the clothing, the supplies i got, I got a safe way to get those things into my life so that I don't abandon this great work that we're supposed to be doing for God. I'm going to fortify the position. I'll gather the weapons, the tools, the food, the water. Nehemiah would have to train soldiers. By the end of the chapter, you even see that they would do that. They had a tool in one hand and a sword in the other. So I, I will learn how to use my sword so that I can defend the position. Will they fortify themselves? Well, you have to take the job pretty seriously to gather all these resources. You have to know in your mind, this is not a one-day job. I'm going to be here a while. So because I'm making a long-term commitment, I'm going to make sure I have a way of constantly restocking the necessary supplies. How many of you, when you were young, built a fort in your home? Any of you ever do that? How many of you did it last night? (laughs) I did. (laughs) I did, I did. I went to Amy and I said, Amy, you know what we need to do tonight? We need to make a living room fort. And Christina and Amy tried to put it together and bless their hearts. They're not a professional fort maker like me. They failed. They said that we don't have sheets big enough. I said, ladies, back out of the way. Let, let me add it. And I turned all the couches around backwards, and that way the, the, you know, there was less, 
less area to span and it fit perfectly and we put the mattress down and we had the sheet above and now listen any good fort now you kids you listen I'm teaching you something very important here this is how you build a living room fort you cannot have you don't just sit on the ground you got to have a mattress you bring a mattress and you get the mat, you got to have something covering it, and you got to build walls. So you bring all the other pieces of furniture in the living room and make walls. That's a good fort. But, 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 but because we live in the 21st century, you got to watch a TV show while you do it. So you leave one wall open so you can watch the TV. <laughs> but on that mattress, then you need blankets because it's cold, and you need pillows. And because we were, watching a, a, we were watching a good program last night, we watched it together as a family, we're all piled together on that, on that mattress in that little living room fort, and I said, Amy, you forgot something very important. Where's the popcorn? How can we survive in the living room fort without popcorn? <gasps> Dad, I'm so sorry. She runs off to the kitchen, makes the popcorn, comes back. And man, we were set. After a while, we, we sent our little runner in the dust to get some tea. And I said, Amy, we've got to have tea. She ran and got some tea and came back. Now, now, you know what happened? I didn't plan this, but I hoped it would happen. Anytime you build a fort, that fort, it's not a five-minute thing. Right? It's not a one-hour thing. You build the fort, that fort needs to stand in the living room for as long as possible. Even when I was young, my sister and I didn't get along really well, but when we built a living room fort, she was invited in. <laughs> we would actually get along really well as long as the fort was standing. Moms and dads, make a note. <laughs> you build the fort, it's boring to sit in your living room fort by yourself, isn't it? It's fun to have people piled into the fort. Are you getting my point? Pile them in and bring as many resources and let's, let's talk about, you know what we did? We watched a, a program about, about Jesus, actually. If none of you have seen it, it's called The Chosen. It's an outstanding program. I, I love watching it. We watched an episode of that. You know what we did after that? We talked, we laughed, and then we had a prayer meeting on, in our fort. It became a prayer fort. You say, what are you doing? We're making the most of that fort. You know what Amy asked me after we got done? I said, okay, it's time for bed. And we hugged and we kissed just like we always do for bed. And I'm heading off to bed and she says, Dad, um, can I sleep out here in the fort? <laughs> yes, that's what I was hoping would happen because when you build a fort, it's not a one, one hour thing. To, you want to leave that fort standing for as long as you can. Will they fortify themselves? Well, if you take this project seriously, yes. Then I will make sure there's a way that I can get supplies and people and training and I want to get as much out of this fort as I possibly can. This is a long-term thing. If you come to my house this afternoon, you'll still see the fort standing. <laughs> we built it right. There's a way to get supplies to it. In your own Christian life, build yourself a fort. Make a way to constantly restock your spiritual life. Will they fortify themselves? Ha, 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 laughing. Nehemiah's not laughing. He's saying, yes, actually, because we're planning on going nowhere. The next question. The next question. Will they sacrifice? Well, I, I don't think Sam Ballot is asking about the everyday sacrifices that were happening at the temple. 
because those had been hap- <clears throat> those were happening for about 80 years by this point because the first thing they did you can read about it in the book of Ezra when the Jews came back before they even rebuilt the temple they built an altar and started sacrificing so they are already worshiping God in that way when Samballot says will they sacrifice I think this is <clears throat> he's alluding to are they going to finish because it was very uh, well known gesture at the end of a project you would say thank you to God for his assistance in the project by offering him some sort of sacrifice. You see this when Solomon finished the temple. He brought in hundreds of thousands of animals and made this massive sacrifice. And, you know, it, sp- it took several days actually to complete that sacrifice to God. And then he, would, he knelt down and he prayed. So I think when Sam Ballad says, will they sacrifice, he's thinking of, will they finish the task? That's number two on your paper. After fortify, you can write finish. Do they have intentions of finishing? You know what I've often found is that it's easier, much easier to start a big project than to finish it. Don't you know that? Any of you that have ever tried to go on a diet, you can say amen to that, right? Always easier to start that project than to finish it. You have a goal in mind. I want to get down to this weight I want to, you know, build up this endurance. Or, or maybe you have a, a pair of pants waiting in your closet that you haven't been able to wear for five or six or 20 years, and you think, my goal is to get back into them britches. <laughs> I'm going to get into those pants again. Whatever your goal is. And, and then the first few days, you're all fired up, and you're trying everything you can. You're eating right, and you're exercising. You know how it is. The first few times you exercise, you hurt so bad. You're, you're walking, you know, people see you in the mall walking like this. You're like, what's happened? I'm trying to get in shape. <laughs> and, and you can go for a little while, but then it's very easy to get discouraged. Life just happens. Something gets in the way, and it's hard to finish that project. Let's not make light of, of this idea in the New Testament. Endure unto the end. Right now, I understand the context in which you find that is, is often a, a prophetical and a, maybe a tricky thing, but the idea of enduring unto the end, all of us should be aiming not just to start the Christian life, but to finish it. And I love what the book of Ecclesiastes says, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. If you think it's exciting to start a worthwhile project, try finishing it. That's where the real excitement is at. It's one thing to start. Another thing to finish, my dad, when I was growing up, my dad's always been a bit overweight. And uh, he, would, he would try every kind of diet you could imagine. So when I talk about people starting diets and not finishing them, I, I'm a bit of an expert in that, not just personally, but in watching my dad do it. And my dad would never try these, um, how can I put this nicely? The diets he would try were these outrageous strange, weird diets that you never hear of anywhere else. The most recent one, he just came back to me about two months ago with the next diet that he's going to try. He went to a doctor and this doctor said, Jim, all all you need to do is stop eating potatoes. If you just stop eating potatoes, you'll be fine. You'll lose all the weight you want. You'll be down 100 pounds in no time at all. Just not eating potatoes. My dad told me this and I thought to myself, I you know, I'm, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a dietitian. I don't know the, why that person said that, but I thought if that's all it took, no one would be overweight, right? If, if you just had to eliminate potatoes. I like potatoes, 
I think I could go without him for a little while, but I don't think that diet is really going to work. He's convinced it will. He's given it a shot, but we'll see. We'll see. Well, what I found over and over again is he tried this, this diet, but the diets were never sustainable. He would, in his mind, the diet was meant to get him from this weight to this weight, lose 20, 30 pounds, but then in his mind, once I get down to this weight, I'm done with the diet, right? I don't have to go to these extraordinary measures, these extravagant measures. The diet did its job, then I'll go back to the way I normally eat. I'll go back to the way I normally exercise. You realize what's going to happen, right? You're going to blow back up 30 pounds again. That weight's going to come right back as soon as you go off that diet. A real diet is when you change the way you eat and exercise in a permanent way. Now, guys, I think everybody should get to choose what kind of diet, you know, the way you want to eat, the exercise you want to get, help yourself. But if you really want to get in shape and cut down on the weight, it requires a permanent change to the way you live your life, basically. Do you see how this is true in the spiritual sense? If you are planning to endure to the end, then you cannot view this Christian life as a a once-off experience where you make some temporary, extravagant, extraordinary changes, you go gung-ho for a few months, and then that fizzles, You go, okay, well, because I made these big changes, God got me through a couple difficult times. You know, my marriage was a problem, work was a problem, I I had some financial issues, I had this and that, so I really straightened up my life so God would fix this problem. Now that that problem's fixed, right back to the old way. Well, if that's the case, you're never going to make it to the finish line of this Christian race. What we want is one day, right, to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I've given you the verse on the paper, 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And then you stand before the Lord in heaven and offer up this sacrifice, Hebrews 13, 15, by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. To say, Lord, years ago I sat down, I counted the cost, I fortified my position, and I had every intention of not just starting, but finishing this life with you. You know, the thing about enduring to the end, please don't think of it as Jesus waiting at the finish line for you to get there. And if you make it to the end, then you get Jesus. That's not how it goes. The beauty of this race is that he's with you now. And the reason you need to endure to the end and you want to endure to the end is he is going to make it to the end. So that at any point, if you stop, if you deviate, you're no longer walking with him. And that's the real loss. We want to one day be at the finish line and say, Lord, here's my sacrifice. I want to commemorate the fact that you helped me all the way. Thank you, God, for getting me through this. The next question we're going to take a look at in verse 2. Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? All right, I can hear Sam Ballot hollering that out. Nehemiah chiseling away, working away there at the wall. Will they make an end in a day? <laughs> Tobiah, that's a good one. Eh? <laughs> Look at how hard they're working. They must have been working hard. For Sam Ballot to say this, they had to have been hustling. There had to be some zeal. They're working as if, right, they're going to finish in a day. So, so they're saying, that, ah, that's a good one. He's going to finish in a day. And Nehemiah looks up and says, 
course we're not going to finish in a day. <laughs> Goes right back to working. I mean, that's a ridiculous statement. Finish in a day? We are not under the illusion that we are going to be the finished product in one day. I think by this point you're familiar with, I, I, I say this a lot because it's the whole point of the New Testament. The reason the Holy Spirit is within us is to conform us to the image of Christ. But I find great comfort in this actually. Thank God that is not a one-day project. And thank God I don't need to feel the pressure from heaven or from earth, anybody, to say because you haven't finished the project in one day, you've somehow failed. I'm still a work in progress, as are you. So the word you can put down for number three, feasible, F-E-A-S-I-B-L-E, feasible. What I mean, the reason I've, I've said feasible there, let, let's make a realistic goal. Is it feasible to think that we're going to finish rebuilding Jerusalem in one day? No, that's, that's asking too much of anybody. But is it asking too much that you do what you can today, that you do eight hours, right, in the case of building a wall, that you put in a hard day's work at actually building the wall, do what you can today? Is that reasonable? Yeah. Will they make an end in a day? No, of course not. Sam Ballot, you need to know that I'm a work in progress. I don't have it all figured out. I'm still learning how to be a pastor while I pastor. I didn't show up in South Africa nine and a half years ago and go, okay, guys, fully built pastor. I know everything there is to know about pastoring, so if you want to be in a church where you have the perfect pastor, come to this one. <laughs> Who would make that statement, right? There's no pastor like that. Somebody, well, Christina and Amy, they spent a month there with Brother Adrian Dominguez in, in Colorado, and Brother Adrian said something I think is profound, and I would like to say it to you as well. I, I can't agree more. He thanked his church for their patience as he grew into the position of pastor. That's a fantastic statement. His point was this. He, he did not have an experience somewhere else before he started that church. It was new to him. He knew that God wanted him to do it, but he was learning as he went. And he knew that his church folk were patient with him as he learned on the job. And I can safely say the same thing to you. You're, you're being very patient as I grow into this position. And I hope that the same will be true the other way around, that not just myself, but that the people around you will be patient with you. Let's be patient with each other as we grow into the image of Christ. This is not going to be a one-day project. Guys, let's fortify our position. Let's have plans to make it to the end. And let's not pressure ourselves with unreasonable goals to think in our minds that we're always going to know the perfect thing to say and do. That we're always going to be on the same page. We're going to have to have some difficult conversations. Why did you say this? You hurt me with that. Let's fix it. We're going to work through these things. It's just, it's unreasonable to think that we never would have any of those kind of issues. Can I ask you to hold your place here? Just turn over to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, Jesus gives us a great passage here about discipleship. 
I alluded to it just a moment ago about sitting down and counting the cost, but take a look with me, if you would, at verse number 28. Verse number 28, it says here, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Do you see in verse 28, the plan is, I'm going to finish it. So if if the plan is to finish it, then I'm going to sit down and count the cost, gather the goods, make sure I have the resources. Do you see how the fortifying plays into this as well? I'm going to fortify... I'm going to make sure I have enough to finish. Verse 29, Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. Here comes Sanballat, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Now, if you thought that by having just a hand, one wheelbarrow full of bricks, you could build a 10-meter tower, If that's what you thought, then you're setting yourself up for mocking. Then Sanballat has a a point, doesn't he? I mean, you really thought that one wheelbarrow was going to finish the tower? Dude, that's not how you build towers, right? It doesn't take an engineer to figure that out. You got to make a better plan than that. People are going to chuckle and laugh if that's what you thought would finish the job. But nobody has the right to laugh if you have the right amount of bricks, you have the architect plans for the tower, you have everything you need, and you know, listen, I'm not going to finish today. Today I'm just going to work on the foundation. Now, if you have all the tools, the supplies, the workmen, everything else is there, and you just laid the foundation, if somebody walks by and says, ha, 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 just a foundation, huh? You're like, I got bricks and cement. and It's just day one of the project. Why are you laughing? This isn't bad. I'm doing quite good. I'm doing pretty good. You're not looking at the finished product. So stop laughing. <laughs> and some of you are laughing at me now. <laughs> You're like, what, what do we do then? <laughs> you, you know what I found myself doing as I, as I thought about this sermon this week? Like I said earlier, I'm the sand ballot in my story. I look in the mirror. I look at, I look at my sermons from last week and the week before and the week before, and I, I, and I look at it and I think, oh, what am I doing? God, I, I, I don't have all the answers to this. And I, I, man, there's, I could do that so much better, and I could have said that better, and I could have done that. I could have been a better husband. I could have been a better father. And I look in the mirror and I go, man, what are you doing? You're not put together properly. I didn't claim to be. Calm down. Calm down, Sandballot. Don't be so hard on yourself. The work is still ongoing. Let the Lord have more time. Doesn't, isn't that what it says in Ecclesiastes? He makes everything beautiful in His time. Just give Him some time. It took God six days to put together creation, and after He was done, He stood back and said... It's all very good. He didn't say, after one day's work, he looked at what he did on that day and said, it's good. And then he got to day three and said, it's good. You know, he didn't say that on day two. Did you know that? Because that was a Monday. 
He didn't say Monday was good. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. That's deep. <laughs> After he did something, he would stand back and say, it's good, it's good, it's good. The work that he did on that day, God didn't stand back on day three and go, oh, there's no people yet. <laughs> I'm doing a bad job. It wasn't time for that yet. Feasible. Let's be feasible about this. Can we come back to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse number 2? One more question. Will they make an end in a day? Well, no. Obviously not. Last question, will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? That's number four on your paper. You can write this down. Failures. Failures. So now Samballot is trying to use their past against them. These stones have been laying there for 150 years. Heaps of rubbish. Burned. It was burned to the ground. So there's potentially ash and just everything that goes with burning piles of rocks for all those decades sitting there. Sam Ballad is now laughing at him. Will they revive these stones? The enemy, whether that's somebody from without or maybe you yourself, will constantly remind you of the past and say, look at what you did in the past and because of what you did in the past and all of these mistakes, there's no way you can succeed now. You need to remind them of the future. Let them talk about the past. You talk about the future. Say, yes, this is true. I have made so many mistakes, I can't even count, I can't even count them. David said, the, the, my iniquities are more than the hairs of my head. They are innumerable. But if I'm only going to focus on that, I'm going to get quickly discouraged. Rather, I'm going to focus on God's promise that He that has begun a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So you can remind me of my past. I'm going to look to my future. I know that one day this journey is going to end in victory. And that yes, this heap of rubbish that I call a life God, once He gets His hands on it, can actually build it and shape it and make it into something pleasing to Him. It's fascinating when you look at this whole experience for the Jews. The temple gets knocked to the ground. The city gets destroyed. It lays desolate for 150 years. But when you read in, in the book of Haggai, you have, Haggai was one of the prophets during the uh, rebuilding of the temple. And after they rebuilt it, this is all part of the book of Ezra as well, Haggai said, take a look at this temple. And they looked at it. And he said, now, you older folks, tell me, is it as good as the one that uh, stood here before? And the answer was no. It wasn't as beautiful as the one Solomon made. And some of those old men begin to weep. What have we lost? What have we lost? You know what Haggai reminded them of? He said, you know what? Yep, this second house isn't as good as the first one in, as far as its structure and its beauty and the gold all over it. That's true. But he said, guys, remember this one thing. God promised that he would manifest his presence here and his spirit still remains. Therefore, the glory of this house will one day exceed the glory of Solomon's because that temple one day, Jesus is going to come back and be a part of that temple. Be a part of that city. He, he sits on the throne of his father David. He said the glory that one day will be here will far exceed anything you've seen in the past. Haggai said you can worry about the past. 
But rather, why not think about the future? Think about where this is going to end up. Say, Pastor Mike, you don't know how big the heap of rubbish is in my life, all the mistakes I've made. I don't think there's any way that God can put my life back together again. Can I ask you to turn over to the book of Jeremiah, please, to finish? Jeremiah chapter 30. I'd like to take you through a few verses I believe are relevant. Jeremiah chapter 30. And let's begin reading together in verse 10. Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 10. The Bible says here, Therefore fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord. Neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. Bear in mind, Jeremiah, he's on the other side of this whole captivity experience. He's at the beginning of it. They're going off into captivity. And Jeremiah said, you're going to be there 70 years. That, that, that's a whole lifetime for most, most everybody there. And now he's comforting them. Don't worry, guys. Yeah, you're going to go through a captivity and it's going to be bad, but the Lord's going to bring you back. Verse number 11, For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee. Though I make a full end of all nations, whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. But I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. This is fascinating when you think of this in the New Testament sense. People that are unsaved, never been born again, they are looking for eternal destruction. What about you and I as saved people? Does this mean God will never punish us? Well, we, will, we never experience that full end. But as his children, if we get out of line, he will punish us. He will not leave us unpunished. Verse 12, For thus saith the Lord, Thy bruise is incurable, and thy wound is grievous. There's nothing you can do to fix the pain you're going through. You made this mess. You brought this on yourself. Verse 13, There is none to plead thy cause, that thou mayest be bound up. Thou hast no healing medicines. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can apply to the situation. No matter how many friends you have or other armies you hire to come and protect you. Nothing can stop this destruction that God is bringing. You deserve this punishment. Verse 14, All thy lovers have forgotten thee. They seek thee not. For I have wounded thee with the wound of an enemy and with the chastisement of a cruel one for the multitude of thine iniquity because thy sins were increased. God is pointing out to them, guys, what's about to happen? The city being knocked down, the temple being burned down, you brought this on yourself. And, and other people are going to go far away from you. You brought this on yourself. You know, it, it does you good when they say, what do these feeble Jews? Just remember, yeah, yeah, we're feeble because we made ourselves feeble. We could have been strong, but it was our decisions that put us in this position. But that's not the end of the story. Keep reading. Verse 15, for, uh, he says, Why criest thou for thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable for the multitude of thine iniquity. Because thy sins were increased, I have done these things unto thee. 
Guys, I, I can't avoid it. I have to punish you. Therefore, all they that devour thee shall be devoured. Hmm. And all thine adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity. And they that spoil thee shall be a spoil. And all that prey upon thee will I give for a prey. The Jews were thinking, now God, you're, you're punishing us, but you're using these other nations to punish us. The Babylonians, eventually the Medes, the Persians, and so forth. God, those people are worse than we are. They live worse than we do. God says, I know. I'm going to punish them too. Verse 17, For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord, because they call thee an outcast. They're making fun of you. Saying, This is Zion, whom no man seeketh after. Watch verse 18. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring again the captivity of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places. And the city shall be builded upon her own heap and the palace shall remain after the manner thereof. Jeremiah said this in about 590 B.C. 140 years later, Nehemiah fulfilled this promise. I'm going to build the city upon its own heap. There's the city, the temple, all the stones burned, broken down, laying on the ground. You say, well, I've got to get it all moved away and cleared away before I can do anything. No, no, God says, give the rubble to me. Give the mess to me. Right where you made all the mistakes, I can build right there. I can actually take your mistakes and turn them into something profitable if you let me. It was the prophet Jeremiah that was told by God, go down to the potter's house. I got something to show you. Jeremiah went there and the potter began to work on the clay. And as the potter was moving his hands so eloquently up and down that clay, that clay falls to the side. It becomes marred in the hands of the potter. And right then, Jeremiah, I'm sure he's starting to catch on and going, yep, that's us, Lord. We're that clay. We've made a mess. We got out of your hands. Just boom. And God says, Jeremiah, keep watching. Watch what he does next. And that potter took that same lump of clay. He didn't throw that clay away. He took that same piece of clay and started over. Right there on the same wheel, pumping that foot, getting that wheel going, and the hands moving up and up and up and elegantly up the side until that it took the perfect shape. He said, Jeremiah, do you get what I'm showing you? Even though you make a mess of it, if you'll return, if you'll repent, if you'll get back in line with what I'm doing, I can take that same heap, that same pile of rubbish, and turn it into a beautiful life. I don't know if I've ever sung this for you. God help me, I don't know if I have enough of voice enough voice to sing it now but I'm going to try empty and broken I came back to him a vessel so unworthy and so scarred with sin but he did not despair he started over again and I bless the day he didn't throw the clay away over and over he molds me and he makes me into his likeness he fashions the clay a vessel of honor I am 
today. All because Jesus, he didn't throw the clay away. Now he is the potter and I am the clay. Molded in his image, that's how he wants me to stay. When I stumble and fall and my vessel breaks, he just picks up the pieces. He doesn't throw the clay away. Over and over, He molds me and He makes me into His likeness. He fashions the clay, a vessel of honor I am today. All because Jesus he didn't throw the clay away. Guys, the failures, God doesn't throw them away. He just turns them into something He can use. Let's all stand if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed for a few moments. Haters are going to hate. Pray about it. Keep working. And maybe you never say anything to Sam Ballot. Maybe you just inside answer him. Maybe you just go through those questions. Am I feeble? Well, yes, but that's not a problem because God's grace is sufficient. Will they fortify themselves? Well, yes, absolutely, we can. Take a little effort, but we can do that. We can constantly restock and find supplies. We'll stay strong. Will they finish? That's up to you to make that commitment. To be in it for the long haul. Are your goals feasible? We're not asking you to finish in a day. Don't be so hard on yourself if you're still learning. That's precisely what you're supposed to do. See, I got too many failures. Too much rubbish. That's where God seems to excel. Take that broken life. Turn it into something beautiful. Maybe today you're discouraged because you've been making a real effort to build that wall, rebuild that city, Maybe others, maybe yourself, starting to get down on you about it. It's a worthy project to walk with God every day. Father, I thank you for your grace today and the privilege to stand here and preach. 
Lord, you know the needs of each heart in here, and I do pray that you'd minister to those needs. Speak to their hearts, Lord. Lord, we desire to be in this for the long haul. We want to walk every step of this journey with you all the way to the end. Help us, Lord, to fortify this position. Lord, we, I, I feel bad bringing you rubble, bringing you heaps of rubbish. And Lord, even after you've built on me a while, sometimes I mess it up again and I have to bring you more rubble. God, I want to thank you for never throwing the clay away. Lord, I can't tell you how encouraging it is to have your promise that the city will be built upon the heaps. Lord, I pray you'd encourage those that are getting weak and weary. Help them not to be weary and well-doing. I pray you bless our afternoon, the rest of our day, as we spend it with each other and with you. We thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Folks, thank you so much for your time. Please be sure to tune in tonight for the uh, Bible, Bible school class.